I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The sheep hear the shepherd's voice. They know his voice. His voice is a source of comfort. When they hear his voice, they follow. This week I had an opportunity to do a little bit more reading and research, maybe, maybe look at this psalm from a different angle, and uh, found some really fascinating resources this week uh, that I wanted to share with you. One of them uh, that I found was an article in Modern Farmer Magazine. Anybody subscribe to Modern Farmer Magazine here? No? no I didn't think so. I, I didn't know. I'd never heard of it before, but I found this article uh, a couple years back, and it was written by Craig Rogers. Craig is the shepherd at Border Springs Farm in Patrick Springs, Virginia. The article he wrote was entitled, Ten Things I've Learned from Lambs. And there were a number of things he mentioned, and a few of them stood out to me I want to share with you. These may give you a little bit more insight into what we talked about last week, about the Lord as our shepherd and we as sheep. Rogers wrote this, Shepherding requires more hands-on work than most livestock farming. Lambing, the birthing of lambs, often occurs at night in the cold and is a solitary farming task where the reward is personal satisfaction in perhaps saving a life of a ewe or bringing a lamb into the world that otherwise would not make it. It is a personal satisfaction with few equals, he said. He also said, many think that the flocking instinct of lambs is a sign of dumbness. He says it is, in fact, a community-based survival mechanism where they've learned that their strength is much greater in numbers and their comfort and survival is enhanced as a group rather than as an individual. Not a bad lesson for all of us, he says. He says the intelligence of sheep is obvious to all those who take the time to listen to them. Bet you didn't know that. I didn't know that. He says sheep are always stunning creatures, at least in the eyes of the shepherd. But the cuteness does not last forever in sheep. Or in kittens or puppies. Or people, for that matter. It's crazy. He didn't say that. I said that, but just throw that out there. Um, He says this, and I like this. He says, we have learned that happy sheep are the tastiest sheep. We oversee our pastures, overseed our pastures with three types of high sugar grasses and red and white clover to give our grass-fed lambs enough sugar to create a delicious fat. But most importantly, animals that get to graze ample rich pastures, have crystal clear spring or well water, and can live in peace of predators, or the stress of wondering where the next meal comes from, will be the happiest and the tastiest. Well, it's certainly no accident that God uses sheep to picture his people. No accident that David chose the shepherd to describe our Lord. I also had the chance to read a couple of other 
takes or perspectives on Psalm 23 this week. One of them by John McNeil. John McNeil was called the Scottish Spurgeon. Anybody ever heard of John McNeil before? I had never heard of John McNeil before this week. Apparently, he was a very, very, very popular preacher from Scotland. In fact, he traveled with D.L. Moody, and he preached during the, the great uh, World's Fair in Chicago. And apparently, my understanding is that when he preached at the World's Fair, people left the World's Fair to go hear him preach. And, and the crowd at the World's Fair diminished significantly because everybody was in the hall next door listening to him preach. Okay. The New York Times called him a shaggy master of pathos. Okay. <laughs> I kind of like that. If you see a picture of him, you'd understand why. Uh, big bushy beard. and He had six sermons that he preached on Psalm 23. It was published in a book in 1927. And he said this in the introduction to the psalm. I thought this was really fascinating. He said, he took this David of his, speaking of the Lord, took this David of his, and out of David's heart, so troubled and tried, so broken for sin and broken from sin and healed again by grace divine. God brought these sighs and sobs, these songs and ecstasies that sit and fit in my mouth and yours as if we were the first that ever burst into that silent sea. John McNeil felt as if this psalm was the cry of his own heart to heaven. That was how much he loved Psalm 23. I'd like this morning to take a look at the first three verses of Psalm 23 and actually try to finish it this time. So if you're there in Psalm 23, let's read. You can just follow along. I'll read the first three verses. David says this, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us as we study his word together this morning. Heavenly Father, again, I implore you that you would give us aid and help at this time. We need to understand the very simple and yet profoundly deep truths that this psalm presents to us. We need it, Lord, because you have called us to be your sheep. And if we are your sheep, then we must understand you as our shepherd, the provision that you offer, the help and the guidance that you give. These are essential to us, Lord. So I pray that you would open our eyes to understand the truth. Help me as I speak. Lord, give me insight and ability to to speak from your word very clearly so that it can be understood and received. We pray that you would do a work and your name would be praised by it today. In Jesus' name, amen. In the first verse, we mentioned this last week. The Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. And it teaches us one very important point. It teaches us this lesson. We talked about this last week. The great shepherd provides for his sheep. The great shepherd provides for his sheep. David, because of the Lord's provision, because the Lord provides for his sheep, David could say, I do not, I cannot want. 
He could express complete contentment and satisfaction in the Lord because he could say, I have everything that I need because the Lord is my shepherd. And he did. And we affirm the same thing to be true. He supplies our need. But you look at verse 2, and we said this last week, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. We talked about what green pastures and still waters represent. I like the way John McNeil said it, and I didn't have this last week, so I couldn't share it with you, but I read it this week. John McNeil said, any sheep of any sense will tell you that green pastures and quiet waters mean the best conditions for sheep. This is how the Lord provides for us. See, when he provides, he doesn't do it haphazardly, or I like this phrase, ham-handedly. He is very uh, wise in how he provides for us. He provides for us the best conditions. Okay? We're the sheep. He's the shepherd. The good, a good shepherd provides the best conditions for a sheep. That's green pastures. That's still waters. Remember I said, it's not really focused so much on the food and the drink aspect of it as it is on comfort and rest. Because the shepherd understands his sheep need to be able to rest in comfort. One of the things that I read about this week, a little bit about sheep, and I, had, I knew this, but I didn't really think about it too much. Sheep are ruminating animals. Anybody want to... Anybody know, here's a quiz for you, anybody know what a ruminating animal is? What that means? Anybody? Okay, the word ruminate comes from the Latin and it means to chew again. Okay? The idea to, to, to chew over and over. So ruminating animals are animals that chew their cup. Cows are ruminating animals. Sheep are ruminating animals. Well, what do they do? When, when the shepherd brings the sheep to the pasture and the sheep eats its fill, then what does the sheep want to do? Lie down. Because it's got to sit there and it's got to chew the cud for a while. And it has to digest what it's eaten and it takes a while. Jerome asked me, what is that? Why do I always get tired after I have a big meal? Because <laughs> you want to lie down and digest it. Well, the sheep want to do the same thing. See, the shepherd understands it. So what does he do? He provides the best conditions for his sheep. To do what they're going to do. That's the green pastures. That's the still waters. The best conditions. And guess what? The Lord knows. The Lord knows your best conditions. He does. He knows that. I had the chance this week also. I said I looked at a couple of different books. Um, I read John McNeil's book, I didn't read the whole thing, I just read the first two-thirds of it. Um, but I also read another book this week uh, by, written by Philip Keller. Okay. And Philip Keller, uh, is, the book is called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And Philip Keller wrote that book know, 40 years ago or something like that. Uh, but Philip Keller grew up, and when he was a young man, he was a shepherd. And then he got involved in different things. He ended up uh, as a lay pastor, preacher in a church. And so he, he took his experience as a shepherd and he approached Psalm 23 and he simply broke it down for us who are not shepherds, okay? Who don't do that on a regular basis. And he said this. He said there were four things that a sheep 
uh, that sheep need in order to rest. These are things sheep have to have if they're going to rest. Remember I said, the shepherd knows what his sheep needs, and he provides for them the best care, the best conditions. Well, if he's going to provide best conditions, he has to understand what do they need to rest. Well, what do they need? Well, the first thing is they need to be free from fear. They have to be free from fear. Sheep can't rest if there is a predator around. They can't rest if they're in a situation where they feel unsafe. Can anybody relate to that? It's hard to rest when we're filled with fear and anxiety, right? With panic. It's hard to rest. Can't rest. What else? Well, they must be free from friction with other sheep. He said, you know, in the herd, not the herd, the flock of sheep, there's, there's all sorts of jostling around continuously. Because every sheep in that flock has a position. There's a sheep at the top, but that sheep is the dominant sheep, usually a ewe that is an older one, and she goes away around. And if any of the other ones try to get in the most favored spot, a pasture, or whatever she considers to be the best place, she'll go and she'll butt them and butt them and butt them until they move. If they're smart, they see her coming to get out of the way. She's the one in charge. But he said after that one, all of the other sheep in the flock, it's a hierarchy, and every single one has a spot. But then they're constantly having to defend their position from those that are further down the, 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 the chain of command, so to speak. And constantly being jostled by those that are further up. There's, there's constant friction in the flock. And he said, if you leave a flock of sheep alone, that's what they'll do. They'll constantly be jockeying, pushing back and forth. But, he says, when the shepherd walks out, all that stops. All that stops. Their attention turns to the shepherd. And all of the jockeying for position stops. How impressed is the shepherd with the sheep that's at the top of the heap. Does he walk up and go, oh, you're really something. Wow. No, it's a sheep, okay? I mean, he's not impressed with it. In fact, don't you think the shepherd, when he comes to that flock and he sees the one that's been pushed all the way down the ground and is being trampled on by all the other sheep, perverted this sheep, don't you think he has more compassion on that? The one that's being pushed down, the one that's always being pushed to the worst places to feed. Remember, the shepherd is wanting to make sure that these sheep are all taken care of. His heart is going to go out to that sheep at the bottom. So jockeying for position brings friction. The shepherd has to eradicate that. Can't allow that to go on. Again, how many times do we experience friction in our life because we're jockeying for position. We're struggling for recognition. We're trying to, to make sure that we get the credit that we deserve. Make sure that we're properly respected. And as a result, it's constant pushing back and forth. <laughs> I have three brothers. And growing up, I mean, it was, you know, it was constant. You know, just always. You know, we, we take these trips every summer out to Wyoming from Wisconsin, riding in the family station wagon, you know. 
And uh, I don't even, I, I don't know how we survived, because I don't know how my mom really gets the pills. Because <laughs> there was no, like, you can't put a movie on. You know, we played the license plate game. You know, we're looking, my dad did that every time. Try to find all 50 states and all the license plates. We played, you know, 20 questions or I spy that gets old after the first 500 miles. It's a long trip. And, and, you know, but that's what happens, right? It was just constantly this back and forth. But there's no rest there at all. For the sheep. Or for us. They've got to be free from pests. Got to be free from pests. Sheep don't like flies. I don't like flies. Flies are a pain. Ticks. Can you imagine having that thick wool coat on all the summer long and the ticks? That would get up in that and, oh, terrible. That's what they suffer. They have to be, you know, I mean, a good shepherd, if he knows what he's doing, what do they do? Well, they dip them, right? To help kill off a lot of that stuff. Also try to make sure that they, that they pasture them. And this is what Keller said. They, they pasture the sheep near kind of uh, a brushy area where they can go into the brushy area to get away from the flies. When they're out in the field and the flies are bad, they can just go into the brush and the flies don't, don't follow them. They can kind of hide in there, okay? Get some relief. Because they need to be free from pests. I guess I'm treading on thin ice here, but... Uh, <laughs> you have already problem with pests? I'm not talking about mice or spiders or something. No, the truth is, we're kind of the same way, though. You know, a lot of little things bother us, trouble us, really can disrupt our life, can, can steal our happiness and our peace. Little things. Pests. I mean, how significant are flies to a sheep? In the long run, the grand scheme of things, not that big of a deal. Not any real major health hazards or major issues here. It's more an annoyance. Sometimes those are the things that really trip us up. Things that really are just small, just annoyance. Now, there are a lot of similarities here between us and the sheep. Okay. The last thing is this, they have to be free from hunger and thirst. They have to be free from hunger and thirst. They have to have their needs met. If the sheep is constantly trying to figure out where is the next meal coming from, he's not going to lay down the rest. But when the sheep has a full stomach, has had good drink of good, clear water, it's able to lie down and ruminate. Because that's what they want to do. Keller says it has to be that way. Well, listen, we already read Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And yet, do we suffer from constant hunger and thirst. And I'm not talking here about our physical hunger and thirst. But do we suffer from a constant and unsatisfied desire for things, for more, for substance, for experiences, whatever it is, there's something that we're, we're, we're constantly going after, never satisfied. Hard to rest. John McNeil said this about us. He said this, here we are, 
gray before our time, shoulders stooping, nerves wrecked, brain fagged, found dead, heart trouble, the doctor said. And why? Because we're trying to carry a burden God Almighty never asked any man to carry. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust and that we need him. And he's here. And the bleat of distress would fetch him. His shepherd heart couldn't resist it. Think about it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I can be completely satisfied with his provision. And when he provides, he gives me the, the best conditions. That's what he provides. The best conditions for me as a sheep. But here's the question. Do you accept that the Lord is a good shepherd? Do you believe that he knows what you need and when you need it? Do you believe that he actually wants to give you what you need? That he wants to provide everything so that you can rest? Do you believe the Lord wants you to rest in him? If he wants you to rest, then will he not give you the best conditions, free from hunger and thirst, completely satisfied, free from the pests and the small things that so easily rob us of our joy, free from the need to constantly get ours, the, the, the need to constantly push and shove for our recognition and our position, and free from fear and anxiety. Just think about that. And we are a society today that is flooded with medication for the purpose of limiting and preventing anxiety. Please don't get me wrong. I am not opposed to medication when medication is necessary. I'm not opposed to getting medical help when medical help is needed. But I am opposed to trying to medicate, to trying to medicate our desires and our fears rather than look to the Lord to provide for us, to protect us. He promises green pastures, still waters, the best conditions for you to be able to rest. That's what he provides. Do you accept that? Do you believe it? Here's a question for you, even better. How well are you resting? How well have you been resting lately? And again, I don't just mean, did you get a good night's sleep last night? Out there. Sorry, I didn't get a very nice sleep. On the eve of your birthday, you just can't. It's not that. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't sleep that well last night, last couple nights. But that's all right. Because rest involves a lot more than just getting a nice sleep. Right? 
Rest involves being at peace. Being filled with hope in the Lord. Here's one. Uh, and I, and I um, did you guys hear the news yesterday? The, the, the sad news um, that one of our Supreme Court justices passed away, Anthony Scalia. Tragic. Sad, sad news. Well, there's reason for anxiety, isn't there? Who's going to replace it? What kind of person will it be? What impact will that have on our country? Boy, I could think of 101 reasons to lay awake all night not being able to rest or have peace because I'm afraid of what might happen in the next nine months. And is someone going to be appointed? And will it be a good choice? Or will it be a bad choice? Or what will it do to our freedoms? And how will it affect our lives? Or I can realize the Lord is my shepherd. And he provides for me. And he gives me the best conditions so I can rest. I don't have to be afraid. That doesn't mean I don't care about it. I do. Very strongly. It doesn't mean I don't care about it. But I trust the Lord. You know the rest. There's no fear and anxiety. So whatever comes, he's my shepherd. And he knows what I need. And when he provides, it's always the best conditions. Never second best. Never haphazard. Never just thrown together. That's the way I do things. That's not the way he does it. How are you resting? I'll get to verse 3. Really. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> Actually, I think this is really good. How are you resting? This is the Lord's provision, and it's good. But it doesn't just stop with, with, with rest and conditions for rest. The sheep need that. That's true. They need to rest, and they need to have a place they can rest. But verse 3, he restores my soul. Something else that Craig Rogers, the shepherd uh, from Virginia, who wrote that article about 10 things I've learned from Lamb, said, he said, shepherds like the sheep themselves learn quickly that the path to success depends on tending to the flock but caring for the individual. Get that. Tending, tending to the flock but caring for the individual. Providing clean water, ample forage, and shelter to an entire flock is essential to maintaining the health of the flock. But the success of a shepherd or shepherdess is the compassion they have for each individual. This is what I love about Psalm 23. Does the Lord provide for his flock? Yes. Ample provision. Perfect provision. Best conditions. He provides for his flock. But he loves his sheep. He has compassion toward his sheep. Every single one of them. That is a fantastic truth. And see, here's the thing that you need to understand. And I think what, what, what Psalm 23 and verse 3, the beginning part of this verse is saying something very important. He restores my soul. There's two different ways you can take that. The first way is this. The, the, the word uh, restore can, uh, means to return. 
And we oftentimes think of the word soul, and we immediately think of some spiritual thing. You know, my soul, it's a, it's a spiritual thing. But the reality is the word soul simply means life. Back in read Genesis, where it says that God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul, is what the King James translators put there. It means life. Man became alive. He says, he restores my life. He restores my life. Well, that makes perfect sense, by the way, if what he provides is the best conditions for rest. Because what happens when you rest? Your life is restored, isn't it? Your vitality is restored. That's why rest is so important. Because we rest, and that strengthens us, and it gives us life. But there's something else about this verse that at least suggests that maybe there's something more in here because that word restores, it means to turn back. But it's the word that's used all throughout the Old Testament to refer to repentance. He restores my soul, yes. He causes me to repent, is another way you could say that. He restores my life, my vitality through rest, yes. But this Lord who is my shepherd also causes me to turn back to him. I'm mindful of Isaiah 53 and verse 6. Actually, Wednesday night, I went through that with the kids. Just went through that a phrase at a time. We talked about it. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. That's the reality of sheep. I should have put this next quote up on the screen because I'm not sure how to pronounce this guy's name. Um, I'll try it. I think it's Fadul Magabgab. He was a son of a Lebanese pastor back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Became a preacher himself, traveled all over the world preaching. Wrote a book about Psalm 23 from his experience as a shepherd for many years there in Lebanon. So when he speaks about shepherding the sheep, and he says in his book that for 3,000 years, he, the, 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 the tradition hasn't changed. That as a boy shepherding the sheep, he wore the same kind of clothes that David would have worn, or Abraham, or Isaac, or Jacob, or any of them. He followed the same kind of paths and the same kind of patterns. He speaks from experience. And here's what he says. Poor sheep, when they go astray, they can never find their own way back to their shepherd. Nor can they be left to wander for their enemies, especially the wolves will kill them. As soon as they feel themselves alone, they begin to bleat. And they bleat again and again until their shepherd hears them. what happens for sheep what do sheep do they wander they wander they wander off looking for other pasture they wander off looking for whatever they wander off because they refuse to stay where the shepherd's place whatever the reason the sheep wander and Isaiah 53, 6 tells us that, that we are like sheep. 
We have all wandered away. We've gone astray. There's another thing that sheep struggle with that I read about this week. And, and I, I think I knew this before or read something about it before, but again, I haven't really thought about it too much. Sheep can get cast. What that means is the sheep can get turned over so that its feet are no longer on the ground. And when that happens, the sheep cannot right itself. Philip Keller says that what happens is the sheep will find a depression in the ground. It will lay down in that depression, maybe a little cooler spot, a little softer spot, and it will lay down there, and it will lay on its side so it can really relax. And if it's not careful, its center of, its center of gravity can tip, and all of a sudden it will find its legs pointing up in the air. And he said the sheep, when it does that, generally won't cry out. It just flails its legs, and it doesn't help. He said, if you leave a sheep like that long enough, it's a hot day, a few hours, sheep can die. Because the gases build up inside the sheep's stomach, and it kills the sheep. Not only that, but when the sheep is on its back, it, it can't escape a predator. It's completely vulnerable to attack. Completely helpless. But what does a shepherd do when he realizes that his sheep has wandered off, and his sheep has become cast, and is now turned upside down, and he cannot right itself. What does the shepherd do? Does he run up to that sheep? You stupid sheep, what's wrong with you? Yell at the thing? Ha, I should just leave you there. Good for nothing. You should know better than that. How many times have I had to pick you up? I, three times this week at least. Here I am again. I can imagine that, right? I can imagine that. You know why? Because that's the way I feel, right? That's the way I feel when I wander off away from the shepherd. That's the way I feel when I get myself turned upside down by my own foolishness, by my own tendencies. And I get myself so that I'm so turned upside down, I can't right myself, I can't find my way back, I can't straighten it out, and I get myself stuck because of my own sin and my own stupidity. And I think about myself and I think, boy, you really did it this time. The shepherd's going to come over and say, that's it. I picked you up last week four times. I'm not going to do it again. I'm going to turn and walk away and leave you to die. That's what I figure. Or sometimes we do this to each other, right? Especially happens in the church, unfortunately. You know? Somebody in the church starts to wander off. Sheep wandering off. They start to they start to get involved in some area of sin or some struggle, and before we know it, they're completely turned upside down and they can't get themselves right. Trapped. Did you know sin can do that? Did you know sin can trap us? And the more we struggle, the more we, the more we, we wave our legs in the air and nothing happens and we just end up further stuck. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 6. He says, if we yield ourselves to sin, we become 
the servants of sin? Did you know that's what sin does? It takes over control. And even as Christians, even as people who are born again by faith in Jesus Christ, we can choose to follow sin, and sin can become enslaving to us. So we cannot get free. And sometimes what we do to one another when that happens is we look at that person who's gotten into this sin, and we look at them and we realize, boy, they made a really stupid decision, and they really went out on their own, and they decided they were going to go their own way, and they really made a mess of things. And we say, well, that's what you deserve. And we say, good riddance to not really interested in being around people like that anyways. You're not really welcome here. We like to be neat and clean, and we like to have our services be tidy, and everybody knows what's going on, and there's never any questions, and we don't want to have anything here that's uncomfortable. You're just not really welcome here. And that kind of thing happens in churches. It happens in our homes. It happens in our own hearts because we look at one another, and we're so quick to judge and we're so quick to look at it. And here's the thing. We look at this only from the perspective of rebellion. When a sheep wanders off, is that sheep rebelling against the shepherd? Yes, it is. But I'm not saying that that's, that's not what it is. Don't get me wrong. But sin is so powerful. And I think we have no idea how powerful sin is. And it sucks us in. It takes control. Before we know it, we are stuck. Desperately in need that the shepherd would come along and write us. Or that he would come and find us and bring us back. But we're so afraid. We're so afraid that the Lord becomes frustrated and angry when we sin. We're so worried. We're so worried that what we've done, he is going to hate us for and he's going to be angry with us. And again, in part because that's how we act. Toward ourselves and toward one another. But here's what I want you to understand and what I think Psalm 23 is telling us when it says, He restores my soul. It's this. The Lord knows your nature. Just like the shepherd knows his sheep. See, the shepherd doesn't get angry and yell and scream and kick and decide he's going to hurt the sheep and you know, just throw his hands up and say, I'm done with you, I'm not going to try it anymore. It's just a sheep. What do sheep do? They wander. What do sheep do? They get cast. And what do shepherds do? They go find the sheep that's wandering off and they bring it back. And they go find the sheep that's cast and they pick it up. And Philip Keller says, when you find the sheep that's cast, you go and you pick it up and you stand it up on its legs and you begin to massage its legs because they've gone uh, numb from lack of blood flow. And he says a lot of times that, that lamb will stumble and fall over and over again until it starts to get back it, its coordination back. And you have to keep picking it up and keep straightening it up. And he says the whole time you talk to it and tell it, and you talk gently to it and comfortingly to it because this animal is terrified. Here's the truth. Okay, when we get when we get in sin as Christians, and it starts to take control. It's terrifying. It's terrifying to think that we could be 
destroying our lives and our families, and we could be destroying our reputation, and we could cause problems in the church, and then our Lord might decide he's not wanting to do with us. And our enemy is all too quick to tell us those things. He's all too quick to say, yeah, God, I don't want to do it. You don't, you're not worth it. You're not good for anything. Because you sin. Because you struggle. Because you can't conquer this sin. Let me tell you something. Sin is not something that the sheep can just easily overcome. You have to have a shepherd. That's the whole point of the shepherd. He understands your nature. He restores your soul. The shepherd goes after the sheep that's wandered. He goes after the sheep that's cast, and he picks that sheep up, and he straightens that sheep up, and he brings that sheep back into the fold. That's the shepherd that we have. He cares so much about the sheep. Let me see if I can put this all together for you this morning. We're like sheep. Tendency to go our own way, to get ourselves turned upside down as a consequence of our sin. But the Lord, who is like a loving shepherd, does not get fed up with us. He doesn't write us off as worthless because we're sheep. And he expects that we'll act like sheep. I know that seems just earth-shattering and groundbreaking, right? Sheep act like sheep. So what do we do? We're sheep. We act like sheep. He knows that. And he will, with great patience and tenderness, restore us when we fall. He'll restore us to full usefulness and full vitality. I do have to caution you, though. Let's not confuse that with a willingness to overlook or condone sin. How do I know that the Lord takes this so seriously? Because he gave his own son to die on a cross for your sin. That's how seriously he takes it. That's how hard it is to overcome. It costs the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we have the assurance, and this is good, you see, he, he, he paid the price for us as his sheep. And we have the assurance that just like the shepherd will correct his sheep and bring them back into the fold, he will lead them along in the path that he has set. In the same way, the Lord will not allow our sheep-like nature to bring us into condemnation. He won't let it happen. That means that he will use whatever means are necessary to bring us back into line with his leading. Get this. This is the promise that we have of the Lord, and I believe this is the promise that we have contained in the rest of verse 3. He will turn us into followers who stay on the that's what the shepherd does to the sheep. He trains the sheep to follow, to stay on the path, to go the way he's leading. And he does it by continuing, repeated, over and over, bringing them back, turning them right side up, correcting, teaching, training, dis disciplining. All of those things are part of the role of the shepherd. 
All of those things are promises the word of God tells us that he does for us as his sheep, as his children. He's the good shepherd who leads us in paths of righteousness, David says, for his name's sake. I think when it says paths of righteousness here in verse 3, I don't think it's talking about our righteousness. He leads us in paths of doing right things. I think it's talking about his righteousness. He leads us in paths of righteousness, but it's his righteousness that's on display because we belong to him. His name is at stake. You see, the welfare of the sheep reflects on the ability of the shepherd, right? If the sheep are sickly and weak, it's not the sheep's fault, it's the shepherd's fault that he didn't do his job, right? Well, guess what? The Lord is not going to let you be sickly and weak and just leave you alone if you're one of his sheep. He's not going to let you just wander out there sickly and crying and lost and alone and upside down and unable to right yourself. No. He's a good shepherd. He'll find his sheep. He'll cause them to come back and to walk in the paths of his righteousness. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord, you're the sheep. He's the shepherd. Then you've committed to follow him. Because that's what sheep do to the shepherd. They, that's what we read in John chapter 10. Jesus said, the sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Our, our, our shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, he calls out to us through his word. Just like, just like the shepherd calls out to his sheep, they hear his voice, they know that he's coming. And when he walks ahead of them on the path and he speaks to them, they listen to his voice and they follow him on the path that leads where? Well, right to those green pastures and the quiet waters, those restful places, those safe places, those places of provision. Our problem is not that we don't know, in many cases, what the Lord wants. That's contained in his word. Our problem is most of the time we don't have the will or the intention or the determination to do what he says. But I want you to understand this, and I want to bring this out. Here's a close. If you are one of his sheep, he will lead you. He will guide you. He will bring you back and restore you when you go astray. That's how he shows love to his sheep. But he doesn't restore us so that we can just keep wandering away. He restores us so we can learn to follow him. That's his commitment. I think Paul meant something like that in Philippians chapter 1 when he said that we can be confident in this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. He is going to work on you. That's a promise. You may not like it. The sheep may not like it when the shepherd goes and puts his crook around the neck of that sheep and walks him right back to the herd. That may not be fun. He may not like it, but the shepherd's going to do it because he's faithful and he's good. 
That's the promise we have of the Lord. Is he your shepherd? Have you turned from your sin and turned to your Savior? He will restore your soul. He will lead you in the paths of righteousness for his own name's sake.